sang about temptation. Brother Dan, as he talked about the Lord's Supper, talked about temptation. And so this morning we encourage you to take your Bible and turn to the third page, Genesis chapter 3. And this morning we're going to look at some things the Bible talks about, the subject of temptation. Last several weeks, Jason has taken us through the trees of the Bible as we kind of reflected upon our, our VBS. And he spent a lot of time talking about the garden and the trees in the garden. This morning what I want to do is I want to go back through that Genesis 3 passage, noticing what Eve and the serpent and Adam did, and to notice that this is the pivotal chapter in our Bible. Everything changes after that. Sin is introduced into the world, death comes, and after that God's plan of salvation begins. And so we're going to talk about that today. We welcome each of you. We welcome those who are watching us on live stream. We're glad we could be together. This is Sunday. The best day of the week. This is the Lord's Day. day we lift our hearts. A day we think about heaven. A day we remind ourselves there's something better than just this world. And that's the promises of God. You know, in the world of magic, one of the fundamental things in showing tricks is to have what's called the sleight of hand. And I've had that happen to me multiple times. Somebody will hold out a deck of cards, and they'll say, pick a card, Roger, any card. Now pick it out. Don't show it to anybody. Stick it back in that deck. That guy shuffles it three or four times. He pulls it out. That's the card. How did he do that? I don't know how he did that. On another occasion, they told me, pick a card out. Lay it on the side. Don't show it to anybody. He shuffled the deck three or four times, opened it up. There was my card. Then turn your card over, and all of a sudden, it's a different one I had. I don't know how he did that. I'm amazed. I know it's a trick, but I don't know how he did that. And when we come to Genesis chapter 3, we come to the greatest trickster of all, and that's Satan. He's not using a deck of cards. He's not cutting ropes. But through words, he changes everything. And so if you have your Bible, let's turn to Genesis 3. Let's read the context, Genesis 3, 1 through 9. And then we're going to go back through and walk through these verses. And we're going to know some things the Bible teaches us about the temptation that takes place here. Genesis chapter 3 and verses 1 through 9. Here it begins, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When a woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. The eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now, several things we want to look at as we kind of unpack this and look at some things. We see that everything God made in Genesis 1 and 2 unravels. It was not the design of God for man to disobey. It was not the plan of God, I look forward to the day I kick you out of the garden. That was not in the plans of God. And we see how these things came about. 
And so we begin, first of all, with the idea of the serpent. The serpent is described to us as crafty or subtle, other translations use. He may be used cunning in other translations. He is deceptive, is what the Bible says. And immediately we're going to notice two things that take place. Number one, he understands that God speaks. There's never a question that God has said things. The serpent did not deny that God has spoken. And the second thing we see right away is the value of the soul. Satan is not after real estate in the garden. He's not after the fruit. He's not after the control of all the animals. He's after the soul of Adam and Eve, just as he's after your soul. And how valuable is your soul that God and Satan both want it. More than anything else, they want your soul. Now, as we just take a little detour here, and we know some other passages, we understand that this serpent is the devil. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who's called the devil and Satan. In the book of 2 Corinthians, the apostle tells us that Satan disguises himself as an angel of the light. He is very deceptive, we would understand. Jesus tells us in John chapter 8, he says, You are of your father the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus would also tell us in John chapter 10, the thief, that's the devil, comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. And it's Peter who reminds us that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, there's a lot of questions that come to our mind when we read Genesis 3. One of the first things that comes to our mind is, how long after creation did this take place? Was this the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year? We simply do not know. Another question that comes to our mind is that this animal was speaking. How did a serpent learn to speak? And could other animals speak? I've got a cat in my house, and every once in a while a cat gets on top of me about four in the morning, he wants me to get up. I get up, and then he takes my spot. And so if I was to tell that cat, get off me, and he responds, no, I'm running out of the house. But it doesn't seem surprising to Eve that this serpent is speaking. Another thing we don't know is what the serpent looked like. You look at this on Google, different places, usually you see a snake wrapped around a tree. Probably wasn't a snake because God punishes this animal by making it crawl. And then we don't know what the fruit was. Most pictures will have an apple. I believe it's the fruit we don't have available today because God pulled us away from the access to that thing. But we begin by understanding that the serpent spoke. The serpent spoke and then Eve listened. Eve listened. And here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, it begins this way. And he said to the woman, indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. What the serpent does is he begins with the first question in the Bible. And what Satan always does is he puts a question mark where God puts a period or an exclamation point. God says it this way, and Satan says, maybe not. God says it's going to be this way, and Satan says, maybe there's another option. And what we see here, what Satan is doing is, he's questioning the generosity and the benevolence of God. You put a kid in the toy store and says, you can't have any toy. Well, how fair is that? God put you in here, here's all these fruit trees, and God said, you can't eat any of them. That begins wondering, what kind of God is this? 
How is he that way? And so Eve understood. And she responded by saying, God said we can eat from all the trees except the one tree. And if we eat from that one tree, we will die. And immediately Satan responds by saying, you will not die. No proof, no evidence, no facts behind that. Just a bold statement. And what this does is get at the credibility of God. God doesn't mean what he says. God says you're going to die. I know you're not going to die. God says don't. I know you can do it. And with this is all these things. And so the Bible shows us that Eve was tricked. She was deceived. In the book of 1 Timothy, Paul would say this in chapter 2 and verse 14. But the woman being quite deceived fell into transgression. Now, before we move on, we need to appreciate that the serpent is still speaking today. As Dan said at the table talk, the devil still tempts. And one of the ways he tempts today is using our feelings, our emotions, our passions to confuse us. My situation's different. My situation's unique. I know what the Bible says, but because of this, it's all different. And what the devil will do every time is he provides an opportunity to do wrong. If you want to do wrong, the devil will get an opportunity to do that. If you want to do wrong, he'll provide a crowd to encourage you. He always does. And if you want to do wrong, he'll come up with an excuse for you to justify it. I had to do it. There was no way around it. And that's what the Satan does every time as we think about this concept. And so we think and see how important it is as we look at these things. Now, the second thing Satan does is he dangles the glitter of today to keep our eyes off the promises of tomorrow. He does that. And what he does is he does these things by simply reminding us how valuable these things are. Look at what these things are. In Satan's calendar... There is no tomorrow. All Satan thinks about is today, just the moment. Perseverance, long-suffering, patience, waiting for something to come, that doesn't exist in Satan's vocabulary. In Satan's world, it's just today. So in Hebrews chapter 11, we talk about the passing pleasures of sin. When that prodigal in Luke 15 left home, he never thought about coming famines. That's down the road. He never thought about the idea that I may run out of money someday. That's down the road. All he thought about was today, the moment, and now. And that's the language of Satan. And what Satan does is he gets us to see how important these things are right now. Get your Bible. Let's put a couple of verses on this. It's not on the screen. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and in this chapter about the resurrection of Jesus, the Apostle Paul throws in this one little verse in verse 33. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Now at the end of our lesson, we're going to talk about how you and I can keep our eyes straight. How do we keep from being deceived? When that serpent talks to us today, how do I keep from doing what Eve did? We'll talk about that at the end. But here the apostle simply gives this warning, don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. Satan is holding out a deck of cards and says, pick any cards. It doesn't matter. And he gets us every single time. Then over in the book of Galatians in chapter 6, this word comes up again. 
Galatians chapter 6 and notice verse 7. Galatians 6 verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Now, we use that word mock in different ways. Sometimes we use that word mock to talk about making fun of somebody. You know, remember back when you were in school, in those days you had to substitute teacher. And that teacher was taking attendance. Uh, Roger. No, my name's not Roger. My name's Tom. And we're just playing a dumb game. We're trying to deceive somebody. And what's the apostle saying? Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Well, in other words, God is not fooled. Don't think you can go through life and say, I'm not going to do what the Bible says, but I have a good heart. Satan says I have a good heart. And as long as I have a good heart, I may not follow this, but I have a good heart. Don't be fooled, he says. God knows. And whatever you sow, that's what you're going to get. You can't live like a sinner and die like a saint. That's the gospel of Satan. It's not the gospel of God. And then the third thing Satan does today is he tries to trip us up by using other people. That happened several times to Jesus. Matthew 16, Matthew 19, Matthew 22, all through the gospel of Matthew, they came and tried to trick Jesus. They'd ask questions to trip him up. Satan does the same thing today. We need to see and appreciate that Satan is still operating today. And understand that. The serpent spoke, Eve listened, and Adam ate. Let's go back and look at verse 6, if you will. Genesis 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for uh, that, the tree was, that the tree was good for sight, I should say, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Notice that little expression, with her. This is a new thought for me. I always had in my mind that Adam was out there picking beans somewhere, and Eve and the serpent was by themselves. And Eve got that fruit, and she went out to the bean patch where Adam was and said, look, I ate this, it's pretty good, why don't you eat this? But over and over, the translations say the same thing. NIV, she also gave some to her husband who was with her, ESV, he, she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Adam was there. That's the point I want you to see. Adam was there. Adam heard what the serpent said. Adam heard what Eve said. He was there and he said nothing. He said nothing to the serpent. He said nothing to Eve. And then he did nothing. He did nothing. And when we talk about leadership and the role God gives men as head of the home, this is what we're talking about here. How many times do us dads fall in the shadow of Adam here. We say nothing, we do nothing, and the family falls apart. Well, I'm the head of the house. That means I get to choose where we're going out to eat after church. No, it doesn't. I'm the head of the house. That means I get the remote at home. No, it doesn't. You're the head of the house. That means you better get those people to heaven. And when you see things, you better be saying something. And when you see things, you better be doing something. And Adam did nothing. And I want you to know that throughout Scripture, God holds Adam responsible for this. When we look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, then the Lord God called to the man. He didn't call the couple. He didn't call Eve. He called the man and said, where are you? 
And then in verse 17, then Adam said, then he said to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, where was your voice? Where was my voice? The serpent spoke, Eve listened. Eve spoke, you listened. And you did nothing. In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2, we read part of this a moment ago. It was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being quite deceived fell in transgression. What do we mean by that? Well, Satan played around with Eve's mind, got her all confused, used different words. Adam just stood there. Adam was not deceived. Adam jumped in rebellion, fully knowing what God said, he partook of that. The book of 1 Corinthians says it this way, For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died. Notice this. God's pointing his finger to Adam. He didn't say because of Eve all died, because of Adam all die, so also in Christ also be made alive. Romans chapter 5, therefore just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Then verse 17, verse 18, for if the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life with the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so that one act of righteousness there resulted the justification of life to all men. Then in the following verse, for as through one man's disobedience, over and over and over, God's saying, Adam, you were there. You were there and you said nothing. You were there and you did nothing. And we got to think about our roles, men, as God placed it upon us. we got to realize that this is what God wants us to see. And so what we see here is the, the serpent spoke and Eve listened. Eve spoke and Adam listened. God spoke and nobody listened. And that's probably what we see here. And so as we go through Genesis chapter 3, this is a telling story for us as we think about our roles and responsibilities that we have before God and how God wants us to see this. And so how do we deal with the serpent today? I want to share with you about four or five simple things. Number one, you have to know the will of God. In the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Be not unwise, but know the will of God. God's word doesn't change because of circumstances. God's word doesn't change because of times. Times of war, God's word's outdated. Times of pandemic, God's word doesn't apply. God's word always applies. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades away, but the word of God abides forever. What Adam should have said, what you should say, what I should say is, Thus saith the Lord. And serpent, you got it wrong. Go home. The second thing we need to do is resist the devil. That's what James tells us to do. He says, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he no longer will have a way with you. As again, we see what the Bible teaches on this. Resist the devil and he will get away from us. In, in 1 Peter 5, which we looked at a while ago, it says, Be on the alert. The devil prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I was reading the other day about gazelle in Africa. They will come within 100 feet of a lion and they're not going to run. But they're always looking at that lion. 
They always have their eyes on that lion. And the moment the lion gets a little bit closer, off goes the whole herd. What Satan gets us to do is look at that pretty grass. Look at that tree over there. Look what's behind you. Look over here. And we're looking around, and we don't see that lion getting closer and closer and closer until it's too late. Resist the devil. That's what we need to do when Satan is calling out to us. Number three, focus upon heaven. Colossians 3, verse 2, set your mind on things above. Our minds can only be one of two places. Either they're going to be set on things of the world or things of the earth. And what did Satan do? He didn't just pull off that fruit and say, here, Eve, take a bite. He, first of all, played with her mind. Can you imagine God not being good to you? Well, I haven't thought about that. Do you realize that God said something and he's not right? Really? Do you realize you can be just like God? Now look at that fruit. Man, that looks sweet. Now if that had been an old brown banana, been an old worm sticking out of an apple, that's probably the prettiest fruit God ever made. Look at that. Doesn't it look good? Isn't your mouth watering? Can you imagine what one taste would be like? And he got her. And so we need to focus upon heaven. Set your mind on things above. Satan will put these things in front of you. Look at this temptation. Look how, look how great it would be. Just think what you could do if you stole a little bit from your company. Just think how fun it would be to have an affair. Just think about all these things Satan puts before us. Never thinking about tomorrow. Never seeing the consequences. Never seeing the destruction that it causes. You see, Satan wants you to focus always about yourself and never think of others. And that's just counter to the New Testament. Jesus came to seek and save. Jesus was a servant of all. We are to be servants. And so we need to put that mirror down and think, well, you know, you know, this would make me happy. This is what I really want. I've always been after these things. Get that mirror out of your face and look at other people. That's how we resist the devil. Satan does not want you to think about the consequences of your activities. Now, how many times, think about this. When you read Genesis 3, how many bites do you think Eve took? Do you think she took one bite? God said, now I warned you, two bites. Now I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. How many times do you think Lot's wife turned around and looked? Once, twice. All it takes is one time, one time. And Satan wants you to think one time won't hurt you. One time won't matter. But it changed everything when you read Genesis chapter 3. And Satan wants you to believe that nothing matters. None of this matters. But it does matter because it's what God tells us to do. And so how do we deal with these things? Not only do we focus on heaven, but we have to pay attention to the details, the little things. A book came out several years ago called Don't Sweat the, small, the Little Things or Small Things. And that's a, cr a crazy book because we should sweat the small things. Things such as worship, things like Bible study, things like godly habits. All those things matter. The little things matter. I ran across this the other day. This year, the IRS will lose two million documents. Now, that won't matter, does it? Unless it's your documents. It does matter, doesn't it? There'll be two million books shipped this year with the wrong cover on the front. Well, that matters, doesn't it? 
there are 114,000 pairs of shoes that's going to be mismatched. You see that box, you pull it out, you put on one, sh one shoe, it looks good, you go home, and it's not the same. There are 315 entries in Webster's Dictionary that are misspelled. I wish my dad was here, because I'd tell him about that. He'd always say, look it up. How do you spell this, dad? Look it up. Well, I can say it's misspelled here. Details matter. That's what I want you to see. And so when you think about just the big picture, just love God, the little things get you to that big picture. That's how you resist the devil. And then, of course, surround yourself with those who are going to heaven. That's essential. We need to face the direction we are headed, as we said last week. Now, as we wrap this up, again, I want you to remind ourselves how important this is. Turn your Bible with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 13. In Matthew 13, Jesus talked about that listening ear. He tells it in a story we call the parable of the sower. And the sower went out and sowed a seed, it says. And some, it says, in verse 4, Matthew 13, some fell beside the road, and the birds came and devoured them. Others, verse 5, fell upon the rocky place, and they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, verse 7 says, and the thorns came and choked it out. Others fell in the good soil and yielded a crop a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. Now we may say, well, this is about the farmer. Jesus even calls this the parable of the sower. And we can say what this is about is get that seed in the right place. But that's not the emphasis Jesus puts on this. Because in the very last verse of this section, verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear. It's about listening, and it's about hearts. There's two brothers that grew up in the country, and one stayed on the farm. The other went off to school, got a degree, went off and got a great job in New York City. And he always wrote to his brother back on the farm, you need to come to New York City. It is so different than the country. Begged and begged and begged. And after many years, he finally went. Man, the city was crowded, it was busy, it was noisy, all kinds of stuff. He'd never seen so many tall buildings, so many people in one place. It was something else. And as they were walking along the sidewalk, the country brother said, listen, listen, I hear a cricket. His brother said, how do you hear a cricket? I, I hear sirens, people talking, there's, there's all this commotion. He said, no, listen. He walked over here a little bit, he walked over here. In front of a hotel, there was a little planter. And kind of dug in that little planter, and there indeed was a cricket. His brother from the city said, how in the world could you hear that with all that stuff going on? The country brother says, it's all a matter of what you're listening to. And so again, in the book of Revelation, if you will, look with me in chapter 2. And this is found every time in Revelation 2 and 3 as we think about the seven churches. But in Revelation 2, verse 7, having talked about the church at Ephesus and what they needed to be doing, he says in verse 7 of Revelation 2, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see, Satan is talking to you today. That serpent is alive and well. And he's trying to confuse you. He's trying to tell you these things don't matter. He's trying to say, look what you're missing out. All the people out there are having fun and you're not. And you're missing out. And that serpent trying to get you confused. This really doesn't matter. 
As long as you love God, it doesn't matter about the details. It doesn't matter how you worship. It doesn't matter who you marry. Doesn't, these things don't matter. What matters is just love God and it's all going to work out at the end. And that old serpent talks, talks and talks and talks and talks. And we start looking at that serpent. And we start looking at that fruit. It is pretty good. I don't have anything like that at home. And we reach out and we take hold of it. And what does God say? Listen to me. It's all a matter of who you listen to. And so, as we've gone through Genesis 3, I hope it gives you, some, again, some lessons for you to think about. How Adam was there, and he didn't do anything. May that never be said of us. If I see somebody doing something wrong, we need to speak out. If I can do something to help them out, I need to do something to help them out. That's what God wants us to do. And to think, Eve couldn't say, well, you know, I, I couldn't help it. He confused me. He said I wouldn't die when, I, when you said I would. What had the serpent ever done for Eve? He had not created her. He had not made a day. He had not blessed her. He had not done a thing for her. And yet she followed him and not the God of heaven. You see that? And so many times... There goes you and me right after Eve saying, well, look at this. And we need to see that. I believe this lesson's in our Bible for two reasons. Number one, to talk about where we got to be because of sin, but more so to say this same thing happens over and over and over every single day. And what we need to do is realize we need to be listening to God. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you need to become one. You might have heard a lot of things. You might have heard it really doesn't matter. You might have heard that, you know, there's so many religions, it's like McDonald's and Burger King, and they're all the same, it doesn't really matter. What you need to see is, what does God say? What does God say? And that's what Adam should have said. He should have said, hey Eve, what did God say? But he said nothing. And we are going to say it because we want you to go to heaven. We want you listening to God. We want you to say, I'm walking this way because God says these things. If we can help you, won't you come as we stand, as we sing.